Monday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Make sure you check out their line of natural medicine products. You can visit their website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on what they have available and how it can benefit your daily life. They're all about helping people live a better life. So again, check out the website. You can order online. It's easy and safe pickup. Again, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City, abotanicalcompany.com. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, It was really nice to just be home and hang out with the family and eat leftovers and watch movies and watch sports and play games and do puzzles. And we did our Christmas decorating over the last week. So I am happy that we are finally putting Thanksgiving in the rearview mirror, though, because after four straight days of turkey, ham, dressing, green bean casserole, mashed potatoes, broccoli rice casserole. I don't think I can handle one more Thanksgiving leftover meal, but I certainly enjoyed it for four days. Lots of leftover sandwiches. I don't know if anybody else does this, but I get two pieces of bread. I put mayo on the bread and depending on the gravy situation, that kind of is is how I base how much mayo I put on my sandwich. But I do ham, slices of ham on one side, uh, pieces of turkey on the other side, and then I sandwich it with whatever leftovers are available. So if it's mashed potatoes with gravy, if it's dressing, if it's broccoli rice casserole, like I do some combination of sides in the middle of the sandwich. If there's some gravy, then I, I put a little gravy in the middle of it, squeeze the sandwich together, and then there you go. It's awesome. And I ate like 10 of those over the last four days. The fun part about the last four days has been not only the sports on television, but my son has like graduated from this period where he does nothing but watch cartoons to at least entertaining the idea of kid or family friendly movies. So in the last week, we've probably seen the Mighty Ducks, the Sandlot and Little Giants and Home Alone 1 and 2 at least three times each. Not even kidding you. He loves the Home Alone movies, cracks up the whole way. He calls it the Kevin movies, but he absolutely loves the Home Alone movies. And then the Sandlot is also one of his favorites. And it's so funny because he wants to eat ice cream sandwiches the whole time he watches the Sandlot. Like every time he's asked to watch the Sandlot over the last few days, he wants an ice cream sandwich and he wants his little chair right in front of the television so he can watch the Sandlot. It's so great. It's it's literally like six-year-old Colby doing the same thing. It, it cracks me up. But uh, yeah, we've watched a lot of kid movies over the last few days on the third television in our setup as the main two screens have been dominated by all the sports going on. So I wanted to start with football, but it kind of feels like the Tyson-Roy Jones Jr. fight on Saturday night was kind of the highlight of the weekend, or at least maybe the most talked about sports event of the weekend. This thing was just complete chaos. It was awesome. It was nostalgic. It was terrible. Like, I I know I just said awesome and terrible within a a three-word stretch there, but it was both, I I feel. Like, I, I think both are accurate descriptions of what it was because... You start this thing with Mario Lopez as your MC. You have a broadcast crew consisting of Snoop Dogg, Sugar Ray Leonard, and UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesanya, plus Michael Buffer with the in-ring announcements, Neo singing the national anthem. Like, this thing was absolutely wild. 
And we got to start with the Jake Paul, Nate Robinson fight. So a friend of mine told me a few weeks ago that Jake Paul was going to wipe the floor with Nate Robinson simply because he's had training. He's been doing this for a lot longer than Nate Robinson. And I don't know how many people really gave Nate a chance in this fight. And I think because he was a two-sport star, football and basketball, most people kind of felt like just based on pure athleticism, he had a shot here. But poor Nate Robinson is probably never going to live this down. The memes will last a lifetime. And unless Nate Robinson gets a rematch with Jake Paul and knocks him out, this will follow Nate Robinson for the rest of his life slash career. I knew it was a bad sign when he came out wearing New York Nick colors. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he wore Nick colors and got knocked flat on his face. But maybe the more embarrassing part of this fight is not just simply the knockout. It's what led up to the knockout. The knockout was the third time that Nate Robinson was put on the canvas. He was knocked down two prior times before the KO shot. So this was complete dominance by Jake Paul. This wasn't just one shot that caught Nate and dropped him. He got dropped once, got back up, got dropped twice, got back up. And the third and final shot, honestly, I think we all thought Nate Robinson had died. RIP Nate Robinson. What a terrible fight it was. Credit to Jake Paul for winning the thing. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't excited for the fight and I was in front of my television like everybody else watching, excited for what I may or may not see. I just thought it was intriguing, if nothing else, and it was absolutely intriguing. So, um, job well done from that regard. The main event with Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Okay, so first things first. Mike Tyson not only won the fight, he won every single round. I mean, he was clearly the winner of this thing. It almost felt the way that they even produced the end of the fight almost felt like it was a predetermined, no matter what happens, as long as somebody doesn't get knocked out, we're going to call this thing a draw for the sake of these two guys finally getting in the ring together. But clearly Mike Tyson won that fight. If you're really upset about a winner or lack of winner here, I, I don't know what the expectation was. I mean, again, it was more about seeing two guys that probably a lot of people have extremely nostalgic feelings about than really seeing some sort of boxing match that you anticipated being one of the greatest ever. Uh, again, for the people that are also complaining about the fact that they didn't really start throwing hands, there was a lot of holding, there was a lot of... I mean, as far as Roy Jones Jr. goes, that was always going to be the game plan. He was never going to just go toe-to-toe, Rocky Balboa style, and trade punches with Iron Mike Tyson. Uh, you could even tell that those body shots that Mike Tyson was throwing, and he was throwing heat the whole way, those were having an impact on Roy Jones Jr. And even in the post-fight interviews, Roy Jones Jr. Uh, looked like he was still in pain from a lot of those body shots. But I think, again, it was a predetermined outcome as long as one guy didn't get completely knocked out, Nate Robinson style. But was the fight was the fight great? Was it clean? Was it... Uh, one of the better fights we've ever seen? The answer is absolutely no. For the people that were disappointed in the fight, again, I, I would just ask, what were your expectations? What did you think you were going to see with two 50-year-old former big-time boxers going head-to-head? I mean, my, my idea was about what we saw. And the cool thing was to just see them in the ring together, once again, to just be reminded of the greatness that was Mike Tyson, that was Roy Jones Jr., and have it in front of our eyes once again in, in a massive setting like it was. So I appreciated it from that standpoint. You know, I was thinking in terms of my boxing fandom 
it's nowhere near where it used to be. And to be quite honest, it's, it's almost non-existent since I've become a big UFC fan and UFC is just so much more entertaining for that matter. But I was thinking back to both of these guys and kind of the highlight of their careers or the peak of their careers. And I remember being a kid and I mean, you know, anybody my age was glued to Mike Tyson's punch out on Nintendo as a kid. I mean, that, the guy was just larger than life. But two things about Mike Tyson's career I'll never forget. Number one, I'll never forget the Buster Douglas fight. I was at a friend of mine's named Travis when I was a kid, and his dad had the fight. I remember at the time they had this monster television, and I remember us as however old we are, you know, five or six, whatever. Um, I remember us as kids sitting on our knees, like right in front of the screen, watching Mike Tyson. And when Mike Tyson lost, it was one of the most shocking moments, I think, of my life. And I, again, I was really young, but I vividly remember thinking, how on earth did Mike Tyson lose that fight? There's no way this could be real. The other Mike Tyson fight I'll never forget is the Evander Holyfield ear bite fight. But yeah, Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas, watching that fight live, one of my most vivid memories of boxing as a kid. And then the Roy Jones Jr. one is also interesting because for a period of time, Roy Jones Jr. was not only my favorite boxer, but probably one of my favorite athletes in the 90s. I mean, this guy was a rock star as far as athletes go. And I remember him coming off the Tarver fight, I believe, the second Tarver fight that he lost. And that was shocking on its own because at that point in time, Roy Jones Jr. was was widely considered the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. You know, he was getting a lot of those conversations about maybe being the greatest of all time. He loses to Tarver. And I can't remember who he fought next, but I'll never forget seeing the fight because I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I think this was 2004. I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan for a Michigan-Iowa game. This was Drew Tate, Iowa versus Chad Henney, Mike Hart, Braylon Edwards, Michigan. Michigan wins that game. By the way, the, the tailgate scene in Ann Arbor is, is just unlike anything I've ever experienced, and, and I'll tell that story another time. But go to the game. It was a 2.30 kick. Michigan wins. They beat Iowa. Leave the game that night in Ann Arbor at a sports bar, and Roy Jones Jr. is fighting his first fight since he lost to Tarver. And I'll never forget him losing that night. And again, it's almost like the losses stick with you more than the wins. I can remember sitting on my bar stool, watching him lose that fight and just being completely stunned. And it just felt like the end for Roy Jones because even before the Tarver loss, it just felt like there was no way this guy could lose. He seemed almost bulletproof. And then to not only lose to Tarver, but to lose the very next fight the way that he did, uh, again, just one of the most vivid boxing memories that I have. But again, on Saturday night, it was just, it was awesome to see those guys in the ring together. And, and if for no other reason, the nostalgia of the whole thing was just incredible. All right, so let's talk some football. Oklahoma State over the weekend, the only in-state school that played a football game. Oklahoma, West Virginia canceled early in the week. Tulsa, Houston canceled as well. And you got to feel bad for Zayvon Collins and the rest of that Golden Hurricane team. They have had the worst luck this season in terms of COVID and being able to play games while also seemingly having the best luck when they actually do get on the football field, maybe other than the Oklahoma State season opener. But 
what a season it's been for Tulsa. And I hate the fact that they had another game canceled. But uh, hopefully they're able to get back in action very quickly. Same thing for the Sooners. Something to monitor all week long as I guess Lincoln Riley and crew are back in the facilities after several days of shutdown. I think they said five total days they shut down the facility. So I think for me at least there's still some nervousness as to whether or not they're going to be able to play Baylor on Saturday. I'll probably feel better about it if we get to Thursday and there's been no announcement. By, by Thursday, I think you have to have a pretty good idea as to what's going to happen, where you're at. So I'm, I'm going to be pretty cautious and on eggshells to a degree uh, all week until Thursday, and that's probably the first time I'll start feeling good about them actually being able to play a football game on Saturday. But uh, Oklahoma State in action, bounce back in a big way. That Texas Tech game was just bananas, and it was a weird game because it starts and – you know that Oklahoma State is without some key players. Desmond Jackson gets the start at running back for the Cowboys, and what a performance it was. And this is a guy that I've, I've not heard anybody talk about all season long. In fact, I remember there being a little bit more excitement about Dominic Richardson coming in at the running back position as the season began. But this guy has a hell of a game, though. 36 carries, 235 yards, Three touchdowns. He was the workhorse. And to be quite honest, for an offense that struggled as much as Oklahoma State has struggled, he kind of felt like a lightning bolt for this group. And again, I understand Texas Tech is not good defensively, but Desmond Jackson had a day. And the fact that late in the game, he seals the victory, but doesn't score the touchdown, I mean, that speaks volumes about what kind of guy he is as well. If that's me, I am trucking into the end zone. There is no way I'm missing my opportunity at football immortality, a.k.a. Al Bundy, four-touchdown game. And Desmond Jackson, instead of going into the end zone, scoring his fourth touchdown, takes the knee and seals the victory. What a performance it was for Des. But as I mentioned, what a weird game it was. The onside kick returned for a touchdown. You had the Trey Sterling interception returned for a touchdown. Oklahoma State got it done. They were clearly the more superior, athletic, and skilled team. But there are so many deficiencies as far as that offense goes that, again, I mean, it it kind of felt like between special teams and defense and Desmond Jackson, they were bailed out. But I definitely got the feeling, at least early in that game, like this was a team that was very flat and was feeling the bedlam hangover. As far as the rest of the Big 12 goes, how about the Iowa State-Texas game on Friday morning? It's kind of funny to me that we're going through this whole charade of Sam Ellinger, senior day, last time to play in Austin, this is it, calling his career over. This year doesn't count. Sam Ellinger is going to be back. I can't imagine there is any circumstance in which Sam Ellinger is an NFL draft pick or certainly a scenario where he's a high enough NFL draft pick that would warrant him leaving Texas. So my... my, anticipation is Sam Ellinger comes back next season and is the quarterback for the Texas Longhorns. It it just makes too much sense. The interesting part here is what happens with Tom Herman because it kind of felt like that loss sealed his fate. And I would be stunned if Texas doesn't try and find a way to move on from Tom Herman. Now, here's the interesting part. Part of this depends on who their candidates are and how their candidates feel about the job. You owe Tom Herman so much money that if the guys that you want to be your head coach turn you down, does it make a lot of sense to pay Tom Herman to not coach and then get a guy that you're not necessarily crazy about and continue to delay the reboot process? 
so this is where I think there is a chance for Tom Herman to stick around Texas simply because if, for example, their list looks like Urban Meyer, Luke Fickle, and P.J. Fleck, and I'm just throwing three names out there that I would call if I, if I had a head coach opening. I call Urban Meyer. He says, no, I'm happy being a broadcaster. I call Luke Fickle. He loves what he's doing at Cincinnati, or he's waiting for a better situation. P.J. Fleck, same thing. They all say no. Are you at that point going to continue to dig down on your list to find a guy simply to send Tom Herman out the door? It makes more sense to probably just wait it out another year, but we'll see. I mean, it's it's not like Texas is a university that doesn't have deep pockets, that doesn't have money flowing through the front doors. So it kind of feels like the Tom Herman era of Texas football is over. As for Iowa State, what a story the Cyclones have been. This was a team that a year ago I picked second in my preseason Big 12 poll behind Oklahoma. This year I had them third. I had it Sooners 1, Cowboys 2, Cyclones 3. And when they lost their non-conference opener, I just I, I, I couldn't figure it out for the life of me because I really like this team. I like the makeup of it. I felt like it was put together well. And then they lose the opener, and you just think, what are they doing? What is Matt Campbell doing? I can't believe they're missing this opportunity. And next thing you know, they've, they've rattled off quite the season. They're in the driver's seat in the Big 12, and Matt Campbell's head coaching stock continues to soar. And just like a year ago, I think you're talking about a guy that's going to have some NFL head coaching opportunities if he chooses to entertain those, those offers. But Brees Hall continues to be a great story. I mean, he's as good as any running back in college football, leading the way for that Iowa State offense. How about uh, how about Sean Shaw with the first touchdown of the game for Iowa State? This is an Oklahoma kid. I remember seeing him play against OCS when he was, I want to say, a sophomore at Jones. And even then, he was a big kid. You could tell that the size and athleticism were there. So I'm not a guy that follows recruiting very closely, but Sean Shaw was at least a guy that was on my radar even two years before he was going to be making a decision. And I was talking to Nate Fakin and Eddie Radosevich over the weekend on Twitter asking, did this guy even receive any in-state offers? And it's mind-blowing to me that nobody in the state of Oklahoma offered this guy. And then he ends up at Iowa State scoring a touchdown against Texas in a monster game. But good for him. You got to love seeing these these local guys get their opportunities, even if it is elsewhere and making the most of them. I mean, Charlie Kolar is another great example of this. Norman Kidd ends up at Iowa State and is one of the best tight ends in the country. What else happened in college football this weekend? So Oregon State beats Oregon, which if you didn't already believe that the Pac-12 had zero chance to make the college football playoff, this kind of punctuates that in a big way. Pac-12 will not be in the college football playoff. And for that matter, the Ohio State situation is interesting as well. Their game against Illinois gets canceled. They're now looking at a situation where with one more cancellation and zero wiggle room as far as the schedule goes, they're not going to be eligible for their conference championship game. On the other side of that coin, the college football playoff doesn't have any sort of games played number that you have to hit before you're eligible to be one of their their final four teams. So... I kind of wonder if Ohio State has another game canceled. They go undefeated. They've basically played half the games that everybody else has played, and they're not technically a conference champion. How is that viewed by the playoff committee? I can't imagine it's going to be great, but again, in a year where nothing is apples to apples, everything is apples to oranges, 
if the committee likes Ohio State, I don't think that prevents them from putting Ohio State in the four. If the committee doesn't like them, I think it's easy to just point at several of those factors. The committee in this situation really has the ability to do whatever they want to do, and there's almost like this built-in excuse for any path they decide to take because there's not necessarily a right answer. So we'll see how this thing plays out with Ohio State if they have another game canceled. The Michigan game is really interesting. When you look at that rivalry, Ohio State has won eight in a row over Michigan. They've won 15 of the last 16 against Michigan. The Wolverines are absolutely atrocious. They nearly lost to Rutgers uh, a couple weeks ago, triple overtime. What are they, two and three, I believe, on the year. Jim Harbaugh is on the hot seat. If there was ever a year for Michigan to find a way to get a W over Ohio State, it might be not playing Ohio State. And simply by not playing Ohio State, you would prevent them from winning the Big Ten Championship. How wild is that? But that's 2020 for you. And again, I'm curious to see how the college football playoff committee would react if that becomes the situation and the reality for the Buckeyes. Alabama cruises over Auburn on Saturday afternoon. Alabama is just the best team in college football right now. They're so complete, especially on offense. They can beat you through the air. They can beat you on the ground. They lose a couple of first-round pick wide receivers in Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Jalen Waddell, who some argued was the best guy coming back this year, is out for the year. And they still just have dudes everywhere. Najee Harris, I think, is the best player on that Alabama offense, even though Mac Jones is probably going to be the one that has an opportunity to win the Heisman Trophy. But Alabama is so good offensively. And and the fact that they are as versatile as they've ever been with both the pass and run game make them pretty scary. And finally, after a terrible defensive start to the season, Alabama's starting to settle down on that side of the football as well. So uh, Alabama really hitting their stride in 2020. And... I can't see a scenario, even if they were to lose an SEC championship game, where they get left out of the college football playoff. The Dallas Cowboys get blown out on Thanksgiving Day at the hands of the NFC East-leading Washington football team. This is kind of the perfect scenario for the Dallas Cowboys. They found a way to win a game. Some of us Cowboy fans who were on the tank train were disappointed And all of a sudden, they're on this big stage, and there's a lot of conversation about Dallas beating Washington and being in the driver's seat of the NFC East. And it kind of felt like things were going a little bit too well in Dallas. So what has to happen? You lose. You lose on Thanksgiving. You lose on a national stage. You lose in blowout fashion. This is the perfect scenario because not only did you get back in the lose column, not only are you helping your draft situation, but when you lose like that, on that stage, it also, I think, helps usher that coaching staff out the door this offseason, and hopefully Jerry Jones is looking to someone like Eric Bieniemy to step in and take over, or at least that's my hope. Yesterday, I spent the afternoon flipping between, or I say flipping, moving my head between the Browns game and the Cardinals game, Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield on simultaneously. Browns win, Cardinals lose, Uh, Probably not the scenario that uh, most people anticipate on a weekly basis, but uh, how about the fact that Kyler Murray and the Cardinals are such a great story, and they're so great to watch. Every single week, they're in their game all the way to the final whistle until the clock hits zero. The Cardinals seemingly do nothing but play thrilling games with thrilling finishes. Every week, it feels like Kyler Murray is doing something in the fourth quarter to give his team either the opportunity to win or winning the game. And, and it's just 
remarkable to see how bad that football team was just two years ago. The emergence of Kyler Murray in Cliff Kingsbury's offense and how fun a story they are, how fun a watch they are in regards to the NFL. I, I absolutely love that we're getting Arizona Cardinals football here in Oklahoma every single week because every week they put on a show and every week there's a thrilling finish. Sticking with the NFL, in our afternoon and evening slots on Sunday, we also got Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. The thing I love about Patrick Mahomes, not only is he obviously the best quarterback in the NFL, I've said this before, I think when you consider how young he is, the fact that he's already accomplished as much as he's accomplished, and you look at his skill set, if the guy doesn't get hurt, he's going to have an opportunity to go down as one of the all-time greats, if not the greatest of all time. Like, it's so cool to see a guy this young in his career already having achieved what he's achieved to the point that we get to kind of watch the best years of his career understanding that he could potentially be the greatest to ever do it. And I've said this multiple times. I think Patrick Mahomes at his best is better than any quarterback I've ever seen play the position. That's how good he is. And the fact that he always does it seemingly on the big stage, when they have a big matchup, like a Monday night matchup against the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, or a massive matchup against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that's when it seems like he really steps up and plays on this whole different level than anybody else. And I absolutely love it. And then Aaron Rodgers on Sunday night was terrific as well. I think the MVP conversation is really interesting this year. When you look at the two guys right now that are fighting for that number one spot, it's Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And start looking at the numbers. I think this is really interesting. Mahomes and Rodgers are both completing 69% of their passes on the season. Mahomes is just under 3,500 yards on the year. Aaron Rodgers, 3,100 yards on the year. Mahomes has thrown 30 touchdowns, Rodgers 33 touchdowns. Mahomes has only thrown two picks, Rodgers four picks. The Chiefs are 10 and 1, the Packers are 8 and 3. If you had to pick the favorites or at least for me if I were picking the favorites in the NFC and the AFC, a week ago I would have said Seattle in the NFC. I'm starting to lean toward Green Bay and it's really hard I think if you're making an MVP case for anybody else above Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. All right, wrapping this thing up, watched a little bit of college basketball over the last five days as well. How about Oklahoma State and Cade Cunningham? This is a guy that I think is every bit as good as advertised. And it's not even just about the numbers. Just watch him play and watch how smooth and the ease that he plays with with everything that he does. I mean, he never seems to be rattled or shaken or try and do too much or play outside of himself. And look, there are going to be games where the shot falls. There are going to be games where the shot doesn't fall. But when you just look at his skill set and the way that he carries himself and the way that he plays and the confidence and, like I said, the ease in which he plays the game, this dude is shockingly good. And I think that's a rare thing when you hear the expectations for somebody to come out of a game, especially like a season opener, and be as satisfied, if not more impressed, with a guy that has the expectations of being the 2021 number one overall pick, I think that's pretty impressive. I'll tell you another guy that absolutely wowed me over the weekend, and that is Jalen Suggs, the point guard for Gonzaga. He's a five-star recruit, top 10 recruit in the country this year, and Gonzaga landed the guy. He is, like if Cade Cunningham is 1A, Jalen Suggs might be 1B for me. Like, if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder and you're looking for a potential 
point guard to build your your program around, build your franchise around. If somehow you miss out on Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, holy cow, that kid is good. And a lot like Cade Cunningham, just the ease in which he plays the game with, I, I'm going to be really excited to watch Jalen Suggs all year as well and, and how he develops over the course of this season because in just the limited amount that I saw him this weekend, he looks like a dude. Like he had whatever it is, he has it. So it's going to be fun to watch both Cade Cunningham and Jalen Suggs all season long kind of maybe jockey for that position of best point guard going into next year's draft. But both guys are tremendous. And if you are if you are an NBA team or the Oklahoma City Thunder and you land one of those two guys, I, I think you've hit a home run. So it's going to be fun to watch both of those dudes in college basketball. And then, you know, as far as, as the sport in general, you know, I've, I've mentioned many times I'm not a huge fan of the college basketball regular season. Um, certainly when we get to January and conference play, I get a little bit more interested and then there might not be anything better than the NCAA tournament when it actually takes place. But, um, having watched Gonzaga and Villanova and North Carolina and Kansas and Kentucky, I'm really interested at this season and maybe more so than I've been in a while. So anyway, it could also be the fact that I'm just at home and we've lacked sports for so long that, uh, you know, I'm still in the mode at least just loving every single bit that we get uh, because I certainly don't want to go back to that time period where we didn't have anything for months on end. So um, definitely, I guess, a different appreciation for me out of college basketball, regular season matchups, even if they aren't very meaningful in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it this weekend. All right, that is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Once again, check out their website, abotanicalcompany.com or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on their line of natural medicine products and how they can benefit your daily life. That's what they're all about is helping people live a better life. And if you're not familiar with what they have or how it can help you, don't be afraid to, to do research, ask them questions, tell them you know what your issues are and, and let them help you. Um, I, I think they're great people. I, I love being connected with them. And again, just check out the website. You can order online. It's easy and safe pickup, abotanicalcompany.com. If you haven't done so already, um, feel free to follow me and message me on Twitter or Instagram at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter colby.daniels on instagram all right i hope everybody had a great thanksgiving week it's time to truck forward we are uh cruising into december now everybody have a great day stay safe and i will talk to you tomorrow Podcast is over.